The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. We're doing a series uh, for the month of August called Refocus uh, because you know, anytime you have a transition during the year, it's a good time to, to stop and take an assessment of, hey, what's going on in my life? And I found that the beginning of the school year is a good time for that because it's, it's sort of like, like the year begins in January and that's when we make all our resolutions and we're gonna lose weight and eat better and all that stuff. But, but really, kind of like life cycles anew, probably at some people's stage of life, not anymore, but life kind of cycles again at the beginning of the school year, like the end of August, beginning of September, like, like summer's been crazy, particularly in the city where we live in, Myrtle Beach, right? So like, like now, like the traffic's starting to die down a little bit. You don't have to wait an hour and a half if you go out to eat somewhere. Um, people driving a little bit less crazy around. And life starts to kind of settle down. And I think it's a good time to, as we start to get back in the routine of kind of daily life, to refocus and reassess, like, where am I going? What's going on in life? And that's, that's what we're doing. And as a church, what we're doing with that is we're focusing on the four pillars that we have behind it. We call them pillars. Jonathan tried to blow all that up last week and call them something else, but we're, calling, we're still calling them pillars. And how, or there's one laying down and they're all standing up, I don't know, but the center of it all is Jesus. He's the one who we were created for and we find our meaning in life from him. And when that happens, when you, when you discover Jesus Christ, and who he is and what he has done on your behalf. And when you, when you really, really see that, it elicits something from inside you called worship. And, and we talked a couple, couple weeks ago how we're all worshipers. It doesn't matter whether you're standing on the inside of the Grand Canyon looking over something. It doesn't matter if you're looking over the ocean and the beautiful sunrise or you're looking in the eyes of your lover or you're standing in, the, in a sea of orange, hopefully on a, a fall Saturday with 80-something thousand people cheering on God's favorite team. I don't know what... what it is for you, but we are all worshipers. Anytime you see something and behold something that's of value to you, you respond back in worship to it. And if you see something that you consider to be of ultimate value, then you give your whole life to it. And we talked about how we are all worshipers. You are great at it. It's what you do. It's what is the oldest human profession, older than the old, other oldest human profession. It's from the very, very beginning because God created us in the very beginning to be worshipers. He create us to behold him and his glory and majesty and beauty and then respond to that as we are, as we are in creation and then we're building cities and, and uh, houses and bridges and, and uh, creating art and music. Like All of that should be worship back to God, reflecting back his glory to, to creation and then taking creation and reflecting it back to him in worship. It's what you and I do. It's what we are made to do. And when we behold Jesus and his beauty and majesty and his glory, we see him in the gospel for who he is and what he has done for us, we cannot help but to respond in worship. And because he is the most valuable thing in the whole universe, then we respond with our whole lives. And all of life becomes worship. All of life everything. So, so the way that you are a, an employee or an employer, the way that you drive, some of you, Justin Kramer, the way, that you, the way that you pull for your sports team, the way that you're a husband or a wife or a father or a mother, all of that becomes worship. 
And we see that all of our sin problem is actually a worship problem. Because if you see something else and you consider it that it offers something for you that Jesus doesn't, then you will love it and you will serve it. You will respond and worship to it. And we said that it's a truth from the very beginning that we become like what we worship. That's why when you go to uh, to a high school or a college campus and you walk around, you can do it at work too, but it's really, really apparent at a, a high school or a college campus and you walk around and you see all the groups of people and you see how they all dress alike, they talk alike, they walk alike, they drive the same kind of cars, they have the same kind of bumper stickers. You can identify what tribe do they belong to and the reason is because they have found something of value and they worship it and we always become like what we worship whether we intend to or not. And we see Jesus Christ in his beauty and glory and we respond and worship to him, then that enables something that Jonathan talked about last week and that's called true, authentic Christian community. There's nothing like it in the world. You may have experienced community in, in college, like with your roomies and your, your good friends, but you have, there's nothing like Christian community because the gospel is the story that says that God has done something for you that you could not have done yourself. And so you and I can drop our pretenses. That's what the whole song, Come As You Are, is about. Like a lot of times we feel like at church and in life, like I have to act like I have it all together in order to be accepted, in order to people think that I'm kind of cool and I'm okay. But, but we're all inside, no matter how good it looks on the outside, we are all messed up on the inside. And the gospel enables us to be real with each other because it says my performance, my identity is not based upon my performance. My identity isn't based upon where I come from or the people who are my friends or how much money I have in my bank account or what kind of car I drove up in today or what kind of house I'm going to when I leave here or what kind of job I'm gonna be at tomorrow morning. My identity and value is based upon Jesus Christ's finished work on my behalf and because he is the son of God who gave himself up for us, then your life is of infinite value and worth to him. And then that means that I can be real with you guys. That's why we are intentional here at Doxa about being real with our mess ups. Sometimes we call it the TMI church because we just tell people sometimes it goes over the top, but we wanna be real about, look, this is how messed up and broken I am. And my only acceptance, my only value is found in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And because of that, then you and I can have deep, meaningful relationships with each, with, with each other because I don't have to fake it anymore. I don't have to fake the funk. We can be real. And then today, we're talking about the fourth pillar, mission. I was thinking this week um, about, in fact, I, I heard my, my father-in-law, he was down for, um, couple of days, and, and Megan talking about some of the news that's going on last night, and, and, and Megan just said, you know, just watching the news, just, it's just depressing to me, and it's very easy to see that, right? I mean, have you guys just seen some, these are just some of the headlines from this week. I mean, the big one, right, is Ferguson, Missouri. I mean, no matter what kind of, and all of us probably come in here with some type of preconceived notions about who's right and who's wrong and what should have happened, what shouldn't have happened, but here's Here's the truth, like that's a messed up situation, right? No matter how you cast it, no matter how you write it, the fact that that kind of thing goes on is, should be incredibly heartbreaking to us. A young man was killed and there, there were riots that the city was torn upside down for days and days and days. That's not right. 
That's easy to see that and feel like overwhelmed and depressed. Like, what's the hope for racial reconciliation in a, a future uh, in our country if that's happening even now today? Like, it feels like, like we should have conquered that, right? But it's not. It's still seething there underneath the surface all the time, and it pops up all the time. Have you guys seen the headlines from Iraq and ISIS? It's incredible what's going on there. And they're beheading people and sending heads back to us. Christians being killed for their faith. People fleeing, refugees all over the place. And it's a mess that nobody knows how to fix. You think about the Ebola outbreak, right, in Western Africa. This is the stats I saw last night. As of last night, there were 2,600, over 2,600 cases of Ebola reported in West Africa and 1,427 deaths. And they think that's only, like, only a fraction of the people that are affected because people are, are suffering with the disease and they're too ashamed to come and tell people about it. And so it keeps spreading. There's probably thousands and thousands more. There's, we've had over seven weeks of, I mean, more than that, but of the, of the recent conflict between Israel and Gaza, over seven weeks that's gone on. And then think about the Ukraine deal, Right? Ukraine and the pro-Russian rebels going on, where they're shooting down commercial planes by, on purpose or by accident, like crazy things going on in the world. And it's, it's hard to, to see that sometimes, isn't it? Now let's think about the heartbreak that's going on in the world right now. I think about the heartbreak. A couple of months ago, I sat down with a buddy of mine. He's a good friend. Uh, he and his wife were good friends of ours, and I sat down with him across the table, and he was telling me, he's crying as he's telling me about how their marriage has fallen apart, and he doesn't even know quite why it is. And now his two little kids are going back and forth between her house, what was his house, and his apartment now. And he's trying to figure out what does life look like for a single guy at age 33 with two little kids. I sat across from a table from, uh, from a, a really rough situation where this lady, I was, I was there t- talking with them, and this lady, uh, she felt this guy had, had wronged her, and she said that she would like to carve his heart out and feed it back to him. And this is just like everyday kind of meeting in Myrtle Beach, right? Like the world is broken and messed up. What do we do with it? It's, we're inundated by the news. What do we do with that? Well, most of us do one of three things. I mean, maybe there's more, but one of three things I'm going to talk about this morning. One is that we just kind of ignore it. Like the news is bad. I don't want to hear about it. And so I'm just not going to watch the news or read the paper or look online. I don't want to be depressed by it. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to know what's going on. I, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes, that's why I just like to get in the car and cut on sports radio, because the worst thing that happened is somebody lost, right? Like, I, I can deal with that, but the, I, can, I can get my head around the fact that the Cowboys stink, right? I can, I can, I can get my head around that, but I, it's hard to get my head around the situations going on in Iraq, and so I would rather sometimes just ignore it, just to pretend it's not going on, because I'm safe right here in America. I'm in kind of a place where kind of nothing happens in Horry County. There's nothing big going on here, and so I can kind of live my normal life and just be happy. And I don't have to pay attention to what's going on on the other side of town where things are bad. I could be happy in my little subdivision and my little people with everyday life. 
because I just don't want to be affected by it. Some of us, we, we don't just ignore it. Some of us, we get angry about it. And we fire off, like, we, we call into, into, uh, into talk radio, and we fire off angry emails, and we gather around the, the water cooler. Is, there, like, is that actually a thing? I don't know, but we, we gather around at work, and we rail about what's going on in the world. We're angry about what's going on. We see these things, injustices, things that are wrong. We get angry about it, and we respond that way. And some of us, we respond, we want to fix it. Like, I want to go and I want to fix the problem. I, 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 want, I want to go and I want to do something, I want to make it better. But the, the problem with that, all, all those kind of scenarios is the, that we are responding to the problems that we see, whether the world headlines or something local, or maybe you pass by a homeless guy on the street. We respond to all the problems according to what we think the problem is underneath that problem. So if we're ignoring, if we just want to like close our ears, see no evil, hear no evil, I don't know what's going on, I won't be affected by it if I do that. If we do that, then really what we're saying the problem is that it affects me. Like what's going on in Iraq, like that makes me sad, that makes me uncomfortable, and so I don't want to know about it. If, I'm, if it's out of sight, it's out of mind, that's really the problem going on. The news makes me sad, so therefore I don't want to watch it. Or if we respond in anger, the, the, the reason that the, what we think the problem is underneath the surface is those people over there are stupid or they're crazy or they're ignorant. There's something wrong with them. They're inherently evil. Something's going on with there, and that makes me angry. If they would just do the right thing, say the right thing, think the right thing, then things would be better. And what we're really saying is if they really actually thought like me, things would be better. And then some of us that we want to fix the problem, we usually think like people are just not educated well enough. They don't understand what's going on. If I could just go to there and, and if I can explain to the two parties like, hey, don't you see like this is not going well and this is not going well. Like, like there'll be like butterflies and sparkles between them and they'll be happy again. Like I, if, if the right person could just go to Ferguson and explain to everybody what's going on then everybody would be happy. If I could, if I could go to Iraq and, and explain what, what they should be doing, like all of a sudden people would be happy again. The problem with all three of those those ways of approaching the problem is it's sort of like carrying, have you ever done this? You ever like grabbed a load of laundry, like a large load of laundry, and you have to get it from one side of the house to the other side of the house? And what you're trying to do is you're trying to make it in one trip, right? It's like a little game that we play with ourselves. I can do this in one trip. But what usually happens, you get the big load of laundry and you're carrying like this and then something falls out. And then while you bend down to pick up the thing that fell out, then something else falls out. And then you try to pick it up and then you finally make it to the washer and you look, there's like a string of socks and underwear between wherever you picked up the load and where you're taking it. The, the dealing with problems with trying to fix it or just getting angry or trying to ignore it is sort of like that. None of them actually fixes it, Right? No matter how many times we think we got one problem sewn up in the world or in our community or in my life, something else falls apart. A sock falls out over there, underwear falls out of there, it's all a message. We just can't get our arms around it. You see, at the heart, Christianity differs from indifference, it differs from getting angry or being dis despairing over the state of the world, and it differs from activism in that it's assessment of what the core of the problem is and therefore what our response should be. If you have your Bible, you can turn to the text, 2 Corinthians chapter 5.
And we're going to look about what Scripture says the problem is and how it responds to the problem. How does Christianity differ from indifference and activism and anger or despair? Look back at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, that what Christianity says that the, at core of the problem is, the problem isn't that people over there are crazy. The problem isn't that their stuff bothers me. The problem isn't that they're just kind of ignorant and they need somebody to talk them through it. The problem is me. The problem is that at the very core of who we are as, as human beings, that we're broken. That we were made to be in, un, in union with Jesus Christ. We were made by God and for him, and that's what we were made to be. And when that is broken, everything else goes haywire. Everything else takes a left turn after that. It's sort of like a, it's sort of like a symphony that's absent a conductor. You can take a symphony, they might be trained, they might be excellent musicians, but you scatter them around this school and you tell them to play a piece of music, they're going to be all over the place. Because once you, if you're separated from the conductor, you're going to miss your mark. It's sort, of like a, it's sort of like kindergartners separated from the teacher, right? Like the one, the, 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 one, the razor-thin line that, a, that any, like this school, they have 900, over 900, almost, almost 900 students here this year. And the razor line margin between total anarchy, like Lord of the Flies in this school, is that teacher that's in each class, Right? You remove the teachers, like, it goes sideways. It's like Lord of the Flies in a minute. There's, there's going to be, like, there's going to be, like, many societies set up. There's going to be gangs running around. Like, it, it'll be crazy in a minute. Little five-year-olds, like, like, teams of packs of wolves, like, taking on fifth graders and taking them down. Like, it'll get crazy in here. The, the thin line that's holding it is the teacher. And if you remove the kindergartners from the teacher, they're going to go all over the place. It's sort of like a rose that's picked from the bush. For a while, it still looks, you can see the glory of the rose for a while, but it's been removed from its life source. And what's going to happen? It's going to wither, and it's going to die, and the petals are going to fall off, and it's not going to serve a purpose any longer. And when you and I are separated from Jesus Christ, the one who we were created by and for, it's total anarchy that runs around. The problem in the world is in me. And the problem between us, the reason that there's, there's racial strife, the reason that people would be beheading people in the Middle East, the reason that, that, uh, that all the things that you can think about, in, whether personal in your life or worldwide problems that are going on, the reason there are problems between us is because we are all kind of Lord of Fliesing it around. It's just anarchy. We're a symphony without a conductor. We're kindergartners without a teacher. We're a rose that's been picked from the bush. You kind of kind of see sometimes a resemblance of what it was supposed to be, but then the petal falls off. Christianity says the problem isn't just ignorance or indifference or anger. The problem is 
in me and it's in you. And then look, look what it says happened because of that in response to that. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. So there's a need to be a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, which, which by the way, well, we'll, just, we'll get back to that. And this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ. This is the, so you're saying, like, why did Jesus come? What is this whole thing about? In Christ, God was reconciling. He was bringing us back. That's that separation that we were talking about. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, in Jesus, God didn't ignore the problem. God didn't just get angry at the problem. And he was the only one that could fix the problem. In Christ, he, God was reconciling us back to himself. We who were cut off and separated and anarchy all around. The problem between each of us individually and God and the problem between us collectively is that, is that peace that's missing. If we were all united to him, that we would... It would change everything, but because that's missing, it's kind of anarchy. God came, and he, in Christ, he was reconciling us to himself, not, being, not just being angry with us, but providing an answer for us. He wasn't just looked down, and he was indifferent about it. He, at great lengths, came and became a human being, took on the form, 100% God, 100% man, lived a life and died for your sins to unite you and reconcile you back to the Father. The problem is me and it's you, but Jesus Christ has reconciled us. He, was, he came and he came as a representative of the Father to us, to show us. He came to us saying, you are separated from me. You are far from me, but let me bring you back. And then, not only did he just represent God to us, but he then stood as a substitute between you and God. And the death and the punishment that you and I rightfully deserved, he took it and bore it for himself. That's how you and I could be reconciled to him. He took that on himself. He didn't just represent God to us. He stood as a substitute between God and us, for us, on our behalf. That's what that wording here, when we, you read in this passage, it says, for us, or on our behalf. It's, 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 it's a it's a Greek word that has to do with both being a representative and being a substitute on our behalf. Look at the, the last part of verse 19. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You see, if you have tasted the bitterness of your own anarchy, if you taste the bitterness of your own rebellion against God, if he's allowed you to, see most of us, we don't taste it. It's like we, we're fish that swim in the ocean and they don't know what air is because they're in water. They may not even know what water is because it's just what they live in, right? We live in anarchy and rebellion. We don't know anything different. We don't 
we don't taste anything different. It's like you, you smell your own breath, but you don't know how bad it smells because you're always smelling it, right? But whenever you're actually, God comes and he enables you to actually smell your own stink for a moment. And he awakens you to that. It tastes bitter and horrible in your mouth. And you realize that, that I deserve this total separation from God. And if he left me here on my own, I would deserve nothing better. But then when you hear the good news that follows that, that in Christ, God reconciled you to himself through the representative and the substitutionary death of Jesus, then you respond in incredible gratefulness. Life looks different the sun seems to shine a little bit brighter. The sky seems to be a little bit bluer. Life is different whenever you have tasted the, both the bitterness and the sweetness. When you taste the bitterness of your own rebellion and the sweetness of God's reconciliation, it, it changes you. And then what's the beautiful truth that comes at the end of this, it says, and then we, we become messengers of the same reconciliation that we've experienced. We become ambassadors of the one who stood as a substitute for you and for me. We are made an ambassador of the same reconciliation that we received. What does an ambassador do? Think about it. If we send an ambassador to the United States of America, sends an ambassador to Italy, and he's sitting in probably the plush kind of embassy in the middle of Rome, uh, what is, what is, what's his purpose there? Well, his purpose, first of all, there is he speaks on behalf of his home nation. His purpose of being in Rome is that whenever they need to talk to the United States government, they don't have to call the president every single time. They can call the ambassador. He can come into the office, and whenever he speaks, he speaks on behalf of his home country. And if you and I are believers in Jesus Christ, then he is saying that after we have been reconciled to him, we become ambassadors of him. And we speak on behalf of him to the people that are around us. Think about what that means to you today. Think about what that means to you as you leave here and you do whatever you do on Sunday afternoons and you go to work tomorrow morning. Your purpose as you're surrounded by this brokenness that we've been talking about, as, you're, as, you've been sur as we're surrounded by all this darkness and the anarchy that's all going around us is for your purpose there is to be an ambassador and to speak on behalf of your home country. Not only does an ambassador speak on behalf of his home country, he only speaks what he has been authorized to say. He only, he only speaks the message that he's been given. It says that there, it says that, we, um, that we've been trusted with the ministry of reconciliation. And then at the end of verse 19, it says, and then it trusted to us the message of reconciliation. So therefore, you don't have to make something up. You don't have to try and paint God in a better picture than, than he is, like, like you're trying to set somebody up on a blind date. You guys ever felt that pressure sometimes? Like you're, if you ever like get, really get over that hump and you, you talk to God, like talk to, talk to a friend about God or somebody at work discovers you go to church and you're gonna try to talk with them, like you feel like you have to kind of 
fluff him up and make him sound better than, than maybe he is? Like, like you, you're talking to a friend trying to set up a blind date, like, oh, no, he, he has a great personality, and, you know, no, you know he's, he's got a lot of promise. And we know what that means. Like, he's poor, and he doesn't look very good. You're not going to be attracted to him, but you're trying to fluff him up and make him sound better. And sometimes we feel that pressure with God, like, to make him sound better. Like, yeah, God's really cool, you know? If he was a, if he was a man, you'd be a really cool guy, and he'd listen to kind of music that you listen to, and he'd drive a cool car, and, you know, he would know... We don't have to make all that stuff up. All you have to convey is the message of reconciliation. The same message that saved you and that saved anybody who's been a believer for the past 2,000 years. That you were separated from, that you are separated from God. And that through Christ and his substitutionary and representative death on your behalf, you've been, you have the ability to be brought near to him. That's the only message you need. There's a um, verse in Matthew 5.13. You don't have to turn there. Um, but it's Jesus is talking to his disciples, to his people, and therefore talking to us in the future. And he says, uh, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And then in verse 14, it says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. What is he talking about when he's saying that we're the salt of the earth and that, um, that we're the light of the world? It's saying that, that, that as ambassadors, when we live in the society that we live in, just the way that you live, before you even say anything, before you even convey the message. So we have to convey the message. But before you even convey the message, the way that you live, the way you conduct business, the way that you're a neighbor should be salt and light. It should be flavorful to the people around you. It should stand out as light and darkness from the difference from around you. And not only that, but another, salt not only has flavor to it that tastes different, but salt preserves. And so if you get a certain number of Christians in a particular business or a particular area, the way that they do business, the way that their fathers and mothers and the way they have marriages, the way they interact with people starts to flavor and preserve the area around them so that it, that it has a, a different kind of flavor even when you get in their midst. Hopefully, as a business owner, my, the way that I run my business has a particular flavor so that people that, that I work with or work for me that aren't believers, it it has, it has an effect on them, even in the way that I conduct business and the way that I talk with them. So an ambassador looks like salt. He looks like, or tastes like salt. He looks like light. And then in 2 Corinthians 2, again, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but in 2 Corinthians 2, in verse 15, it says, For we are the aroma of Christ, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. He's saying that the very way that we, that we live, the way, the things that we believe, what the truth that we proclaim, the message that we proclaim, it's going to have a smell, it's going to have a taste, it's going to have a smell, it's going to have a light about it that stands out differently to the people around us. An ambassador represents his home country and the place that he's in. Not only does an ambassador represent, but an ambassador is a substitute. He, only just, he not only speaks for the nation, but he lives for his nation. 
The ambassador that's in Rome that we're talking about, like, his life is probably pretty smooth. There's not a lot of crises that are right, that are up between us and Italy. But the way that he drives to the embassy and somewhere else, the way that he conducts himself with people, all of that conveys is a substitute for his country. And if he offends somebody, then the United States has offended somebody. And if you and I are called to be ambassadors, then we are substitute for Jesus in our midst. You see, living life on mission means this. It means at one time, Jesus came and was a substitute for us. But now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a substitute for him. And whatever home, whatever neighborhood that you live in, whatever business that you work in, whatever gym that you go to, all of that, you are a substitute for Jesus in those places. In the way that you speak, in the way that you live, and the message that you proclaim to them. An ambassador is never off duty. If you're a believer in Christ today, you don't just represent Jesus whenever you come to church or you're carrying your Bible. You don't get off the hook if you don't have one of those, which by the way, if you, if you have a, a fish thing on your card, drive sensibly. But you don't get off the hook if you don't have the fish thing on your car, Right? because you're still an ambassador. The way that you treat people, whether they know you're a believer or not, you may think you'll never see them again, but you are a substitute for Jesus Christ in their life at that moment. And the way that we interact with them is standing in place for him in their midst. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that what? He lays down his life for his friends. And if you and I have been reconciled and rescued from darkness to light, if we've been reconciled from eternal alienation from the one for whom we're created and now we've been reconciled and brought back and we, we who had no parents are, are now called God Father and Jesus is our older brother and we have all these kooky family members around us, if, if, we, have been, if we have been united to him, then it really should count as nothing for us to live life in such a way that we lay all that we have on the line to sacrifice for our friends. For what? That they would see Jesus Christ as the one for whom they are created. That they would taste the bitterness of their own alienation from him, their own rebellion against him, and then taste the sweetness of his grace and love towards them. If you and I are called to be ambassadors, it means that we are called to leverage all that we have to represent him and to stand as a substitute for him among the people that we're around. We should leverage our time our energy, our careers, our resources, our friendships, even opening our house to people, we should leverage all of that for our friends that they would see and hear and taste, that they would taste by being around me the flavor of Jesus that they would smell by being around me 
aroma of God's grace and his love that they would see shining out of me in the midst of darkness a light that is inexplicable otherwise. They should see in the way that I give myself to them, to my family members, to my neighbors, Jesus' sacrificial death on their behalf. Because the reason we stand as a substitute for Jesus to them is, the re- is because he stood as a substitute for us. So here's the question that we're going to end with, a couple of questions. First of all, I'll ask the easy question, where are you gifted? We send an ambassador who is particular, has particular language skills or particular talents or particular knowledge to particular countries that'll be a good fit for them. Where are you gifted? What gets your blood pumping? And how can you take your gifting, your talent, your ability, like what motivates you, what, gets, what keeps you up at night, what gets you, when you talk to your friends, you get all animated and they look at you because you got the crazy eyes going on. What is it that gets you going? And then find a way to be salt and light and an aroma and a sacrificial friend in those areas of giftings. But then don't just stop there, but I wanna ask you this question. This is the harder question because it's not as sexy. Where are you placed? Because see, most of us in this room, with a few exceptions maybe, but most of us in this room have something about our life that we really don't like. I don't like where I live. I don't like the house I'm in. I don't like the city I'm in. I don't like the job I have. I don't like the person I'm married to. I don't like the person I am. I don't like my kids. I don't like... Whatever, there's something about our life that, we, that really drives us crazy. And as Christians, sometimes we can think like, I will serve God whenever I get to be in that job or I'm at that church that I really wanna be at or I, I, I get a certain position or whatever I can sing the band or I can preach or, or I can uh, drive a nice car. I'll serve God then. I'll represent him then. I'll be, li- okay, Randy, I'll be salt and light and a flavor and all that stuff at that time. But now the, this, my life is terrible and I'm trying to get this like, Try to circle the wagons and shore this up. But God hasn't called you to be salt and light and an aroma, a sacrificial friend when all life is lined up for you and everything's perfect. He's called you wherever you are right now. And all your imperfections and imperfections of where you are right there. And the question is, how can you be salt and light and aroma and sacrificial friend there? Uh, There's an author named A.W. Tozer, and he talked about how a lot of the times that Christians, we believe in God, but we're sort of practical atheists. 
And he said what that means is like a lot of us look in the past, we say we can see where God moved in my life in the past or what he's done for me in the past. And we look towards the future like one day God's gonna do something in my life in the future. But we spend so much time looking at the past and the future that we're sort of, we don't even think about what he's doing in my life right now. And I think a lot of times like we're like that as Christians when it comes to mission. Like we know like we should leverage all that we have for the sake of the kingdom in my neighborhood and locally and across the globe. But we think about how I've done that in the past or I'll do that in the future when everything lines up together, but we don't end up doing it right now. And so then we just have a long string where we never ever do anything because we're always looking the past and we're always looking the future, waiting for like almost like stars to align. And whenever that happens, then I'll serve him. Then I'll represent him. Then I'll leverage my life for him. Think about this. This isn't meant as a guilt. This is meant for us to think about. Jesus left posh, like amazing circumstances by being like the second person of the Godhead in heaven in perfect harmony with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Like life was good for Jesus. And he left what was comfortable and took on. Can you imagine what it was like, like to humble yourself from God to man? Not just man, but a lowly peasant in the armpit of the world at the time. And he came and represented God to us and stood as a substitute for God for us. And because he was a substitute for us, we get to be a substitute for him. I can't think of anything more exciting or exhilarating to give my life to. It gives great depth of purpose and meaning to all the menial things that you do in life. All the things that you do that you think have no eternal weight. It gives great eternal weight to it. Let's pray. Father, you came as a missionary to us. You came on mission. You saw us in our state separated from you. Not just separated, but, but in rebellion to you. And you brought us near. And Father, in return, can we get to be ambassadors for you? We get to be messengers of the reconciliation that you have, that you have done to us. And Father, I pray this morning as we prepare our hearts for communion. And as we leave at the end, that you would help us to do so living life as missionaries, as messengers of reconciliation, as ambassadors for you. And the way that we live, and the, the way, what we say and how we say it, for your glory, and for the sake of all those who have yet to, to taste both the bitterness and the joy of your grace and love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. 
For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.